Chapter 23 of The Knights of the Square Table. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Knights of the Square Table by Secretary Hawkins. Christmas Eve. Christmas bells were ringing as I started down the river path toward our little old clubhouse. It had just begun to snow, and the little flakes whirled in the light of the street lamp, the last light on the way between the main road and the shack in the hollow. The night was bitter cold. I shoved my hands deeper into my coat pocket and trudged ahead, and hummed along with the music of the chimes. It was Christmas Eve, and I was happy. We had had our Christmas tree all set, and Lou Hunter was to hold a regular Christmas Eve singing practice in the clubhouse. I knew every boy in our club would be there. They never miss a Christmas Eve. And I found them all there. They were singing Holy Night as I opened the door, and I took off my cap and stood silent until they were finished. Ah, boy, it sure sounds good to me to hear those fellows sing. Lou Hunter at the little old battered organ making real music, I tell you, and all the boys harmonizing like a church choir. No music in the world is better than that. At the finish, I clapped my hands, and they all turned. Come on, Hawkins, called out Lou. We need you to sing alto. Here, Shadow, we will sing this one next. Hawkins, you get over there with Robbie Hood. You two can sing good alto. Perry Stokes will lead, and Dick and I will tenor, while Jerry Moore and Roy Dobo bring in the bass, and the others can join in as they like. It'll sound all right. We got to sing this in church tomorrow morning anyhow. Lou handed around the sheets of a song that I really think he made up himself. Anyway, it was new to us, and we had to read over the words first, and Lou had to play it over on the organ a few times, too, that we would get used to it. Then we tried it. There was a part in the song which was sung by just one soprano and alto. Dick Ferris and Robbie Hood were singing it, while Lou played softly as accompaniment on the organ. Hark, the angel voices every heart rejoices. And suddenly there came above the gentle song the harsh notes of a horn, the old brass horn that Stoner used to blow around this river bank. How could I mistake it? Long Tom had it now, and it was a signal tonight that Long Tom was near. But hardly had its disturbing notes died away when there came an even more startling sound, the fall of some heavy burden against our clubhouse door. I ran quickly to the door and pulled it open wide. A figure sprang from hands and knees upon the ports. I slipped on the snow, he said. Let me in, let me in, if you please. I'll do a favor for you, too, some day. How could I refuse him? He was a boy, a head taller than I, but he was a boy, and darn it, I am too soft-hearted. Come in, hurry, I said quickly. He stepped inside, brushing the snow from his hands. He wore a tattered suit of clothes, the coat seemed too short, and his long arms showed bony wrists that were red with the cold. Upon his head he had a felt hat, with a wide brim that dropped in front, so that it hid most of his face. But even in the shadow I could see that his face was marked with an ugly long red scar. "'I'm sorry,' he said, "'that I have to ask this favor of you fellows. I know I did you dirty many times.' You ain't got any right to show me a good turn. 
But maybe you will forget bygones this once. It's Christmas Eve, you know. It's the boy with the scar, spoke of Perry Stokes. Yes, it shouted Loomis. You're the fellow who set Long Tom's pack on us last week when we were dragging a Christmas tree home to our clubhouse. I don't see why we should let you come into our clubhouse now. No, said the boy with the scar, you really shouldn't. I'm not fit company for you, I know, but it's Christmas Eve. We are all brothers on Christmas Eve, ain't we? No, said Shadow sharply. We are not. Christmas Eve don't mean a thing. Wait, broke in Lou Hunter. He's got a right to ask a favor tonight. What is it, boy? I've got more favors than one to ask, said the boy with the scar. First one is that I'm allowed to stay in here and keep my hat on, because I might have to light out of here in a hurry. Second one is that you won't let Long Tom come in if he tries. And the third one is that you'll tell him I ain't here if he asks. And the fourth one, hold on, I broke in. What's the reason for all this, fella? I shook Long Tom, said the boy with the scar. They've been getting too suspicious for me. I stood by him and lost one of my best friends for doing it. Fella named Pooley, no better living. And Pooley liked me. When I saw what Long Tom was a-doing, I says to myself, It's high time I cut loose from Long Tom. Of course, Pooley won't have nothing to do with me no more. I know that. He's a fair and square kid, that boy is, but leastways I won't let Long Tom get me in no more trouble. I'm cutting loose from him tonight, see? And he made a vow, Long Tom did, that he would get me and beat me within an inch of my life, and you fellows can believe me or not, he almost did. He almost had me. You know, when he blows that horn, it's dollars to cents his gang will circle in and close up on you. But I just happened to see this light in your windows, and I thanks to myself I got one friend in that little old shack, a fella named Herb Acom. He stopped. He looked around. He saw Herb. Hello, Herb, he says, with a funny wave of his hand. We all turned our faces. We saw Herb, his face turning red. Not his head. Low rag, said Herb, in a low voice. You see, said the boy with the scar, he knows me. I'm all right, ain't I, Herb? I'll say so, said Herb quietly. Then, seeing that we were all looking at him, Herb stepped out from behind the crowd. Fellas, he said, this boy is one of the best you ever met. He helped me out once when I thought nobody in the world could. Rags, I don't know his other name, but Rags is one fine fellow. I wish you'd help him, if you can. I coughed and turned toward the boy with the scar, but before I could say a word there came a loud pounding on the door. Dick Ferris gripped my arm. You go, Hawkins, he said. Be careful what you say or do. I hesitated a moment, but then I put my best foot forward, forward enough to hold the door so that it couldn't be shoved open, and I lifted the latch and opened it just a trifle. A tall boy stood outside. I knew him. It was Grim, the boy I had fought once and knocked out in a fair fist fight, and behind him stood a dozen tough-looking boys. I come from Long Tom, he called out when he saw my face. We chased a fellow from out the woods, and he's hiding in here. We want him. You boys know what's good for you. You will turn him out right quick. I laughed at him. What do you think you are, Grim? I said. Go away. We haven't anything to do with you or Long Tom and any of your fights. 
Get off our porch as quick as you can, or I'll bet there's going to be trouble. Grim laughed. He showed his teeth. Yeah, you smart Secretary Hawkins. Yeah, you beat me once, but it wasn't fair. I'll show you. I'll show you. He turned to say something to the crowd of ruffians behind him on the porch, but he never said it. In the first place, I couldn't resist the temptation to punch him for a smart aleck talk. I didn't have any control over my fist that minute as it shot out, and it would have caught him right on the jaw, That, but something happened that prevented it. Yeah, it was the sound of the horn, the old brass horn, sounding a warning that Grimm and the other followers of Long Tom knew and obeyed. With one jump, they all cleared the porch and landed on the snow-covered ground, and they beat it fast and furious for the woods, from where the call of the horn had come. I wondered what had happened to alarm them. But I saw it a few seconds later, when an old figure came up the river path, dressed in the costume of Santa Claus. He came slowly and carefully, and while his step seemed old and feeble, I knew it was no other but good old Doc Waters, dressed up as Santa Claus. Every year he does this thing on Christmas Eve, to bring his boys a present from himself. I called all of our boys to the door to see him and we all rushed out onto the porch to help him up the steps and inside with his bag of toys upon his back. We played our parts. Doc liked us to do that. Perry Stokes held a lamp out of the door so that we could all see. The boys always take advantage of poor old Doc. They wouldn't even let him inside the clubhouse until he showed them what presents they had for him. I got a fine fountain pen and I felt too cold, so I hurried back inside to see what the boy with the scar would be doing, and I found him seated behind the red-hot stove, his hat pulled down, his head lowered on his chest, his feet upon the fender. Somehow or other his attitude reminded me of somebody. I forgot the laughter and the kidding going on outside on the porch. I stood and looked at the boy behind the stove with his feet upon the fender but my thoughts were rudely broken by the sound of good night and thanks, Doc, from the boys outside, and I hurried onto the porch to add my word of thanks to Santa Claus, who, who said he was on his way to see Ben Bigstaff's kids now. Good old Doc, always playing Santa Claus. Not only on Christmas Eve, but always he was a Santa Claus trying to give somebody something to add happiness and a smile or two. We all went inside, Perry Stokes stoked a few more logs in the open stove, while the other boys jabbered excitedly and showed each other the different presents good old Doc had given them. The door had been left open a little, for, you see, all the boys had forgotten in their excitement. Everything except the fact that Doc Waters had not failed to visit the clubhouse this Christmas, as he had done every Christmas since he had fitted up for us boys this fine little place to meet in. But no sooner had I closed and latched the door when there came upon it once more a loud knocking. Good night, I heard Perry mutter as he followed me back to the door. I swung it wide this time, and Pooley stood there. Dear old Pooley of the fair and square idea. He stood there as nice as you please, dressed in his square cap and wearing over his overcoat the long cape with the K and the emblem of a square table. One of my boys, he said softly, is taken refuge in your clubhouse. Will you please tell him that I and my boys are waiting for him outside? And Hawkins, please tell him that we will see to it that he gets home safely. There is no need for him to worry, I promise. 
I stepped out and drew the door behind me. He's inside, I said in a low voice. Perhaps you'd better come in yourself, Pooley. I've told the boys you've cut loose from Long Tom, that there will be no fights between us any more. Pooley hesitated just a second. Then he nodded. All right, he said. Whatever you say, Hawkins. He followed me in. I noticed the boy with the scar spring up as he saw Pooley. He leaped forward. Pooley, he cried, and the next instant he and Pooley had joined hands. I noticed, too, that Herb Acom, when he saw these two hand in hand, fell back and tried to hide behind the crowd of our boys. I raised my hand. All of our boys were quiet, and they watched me closely. We will sing, I said. We will sing that old shepherd's song. Lou Hunter hurried to the organ and struck up the notes of our old favorite Christmas song. Softly the voices started, and there were shepherds abiding in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. Pooley listened. I watched him as we sang. The harmony of those boys' voices couldn't fail to bring out the best that there was in a boy, for it was Christmas Eve. And lo, the angel of the Lord came unto them, and they were sore afraid. But the angel said unto them, Fear not. Before the song ended, I felt a draft, and turning saw the door had been opened by Pooley, who stood with bowed head while he waited for the boy with the scar to go out before him. And he followed him and through the open door I could see, in the light from our lamps, the snowflakes coming down faster and thicker. The last notes of our song floated out through the open door, while a gust of wind carried into our meeting place a shower of sparkling crystals. I figured that our Christmas Eve was over, and that as soon as the song was ended, we'd better go home. Which we did. End of chapter 23